we continue this morning on our journey with Abraham. You may remember we, lo- we talked last week about how God promised Abraham that Abraham would become the father of a great nation. And so in an act of incredible faith, Abraham, who had been in his homeland and was age 75, packed his bag, corralled his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot, and began journeying toward the promised land. As he went down along the Fertile Crescent near the Mediterranean Sea, he finally stopped uh, in Canaan at a place called Shechem. And at Shechem, God appeared to Abraham and said, this is the land I want you to inherit. And so in response to the good news, Abraham built an altar, the first of many that he would build in the new promised land. Abraham's journey, it's going great, but with one problem. A horrible famine has ravished the land of Canaan. And it turns out that Abraham comes to a fork in the road on his journey. He has two options. He can either move forward into the new territory God has called him to go. Or he can opt to go to the known place of Egypt. A place of comfort and security. Abraham chooses Egypt. And what happens next could easily qualify for a segment on the Jerry Springer show. Here now, the word of God as it comes to us from Genesis. If you have your Bibles, it's in chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake, and Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, maidservants, uh, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham, "'What have you done to me?' he said." Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why didn't you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abraham to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Abraham. What is going on here? Abraham tells the Pharaoh in Egypt that his wife is actually a sister, fearing that they might kill him because she is so attractive. Abraham, who's said to have remarkable faith, Scripture calls him God's friend. And suddenly he is forced to compromise his integrity, lying to the Egyptian authorities, Trusting not in God, 
but rather a self-concocted strategy, perhaps more appropriate for desperate housewives and less appropriate for church. What's going on here? May I suggest to you this morning that the reason why Abraham stumbled on his journey with God is that he chose the known path of comfort and security that was Egypt instead of God's unknown path involving trust. Let me repeat that. Abraham trusted in Egypt where there was a known and secure path rather than in God whose path is unknown yet worth trusting. Let me explain. In the New Testament and the Old Testament, uh, Egypt was known as a territory of safety and security. Uh, This is made clear in the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Exodus, and perhaps uh, most popularly in the book of Numbers. Uh, When the Israelites are under attack, they cry out to Moses, Moses, let us go back to Egypt. Moses, we want to choose a leader who will take us back to Egypt, a place of comfort and security. In similar fashion, Abraham, going through all this adversity, decides that he will not trust God, but rather opts to go back to Egypt instead. Now, my first impulse would be to criticize Abraham for being such a coward. I really think that sermon has probably already been preached. For in fact, I look at my life and I look at Abraham and I too have so often opted for the known Egypt rather than the unknown path involving God's trust. And in any given week here in ministry, I sense there are so many people who are struggling alongside of Abraham at this precise same fork in the road. They sense God calling them to move further into new territory, but the temptation is to go back to Egypt. They've lost a loved one and they know they need to go forward, but they want that security back in Egypt. They are someone they know have been diagnosed with the disease and they know they need to move forward, but they want to go back to how it was in Egypt before the MRI. They've been part of a broken relationship and they sense they need to move forward into new territory, but they want to go back to Egypt where there was security. They moved here to San Antonio and they want to go back to Egypt where they had familiar friends, but they sense God calling them to go forward. They've lost their job or they've taken a new job. And they know that Egypt, their old job, was more comfortable, but they sense God calling them to move forward. In fact, I'd venture to say that each and every one of us has brought to worship this morning a situation in our lives where we sense God calling us to move further into new territory. But the temptation is to go back to Egypt. I want you to take a few seconds and think about that moment in your life. In just a few moments, I'm going to give you some encouragement as we move into that new territory uh, together. But first, I just want to talk about three general reasons why it is we're so tempted to go back to Egypt. And the first is this. Egypt is 
comfortable. When I think about my life and I think about all the Egypts in my life, one of my Egypts would be college. For when my job starts getting tough, I often say to myself, I want to go back to those good old days in college where all I had to worry about is papers and I played baseball in college. So whether or not I went two for four, never materialized into much of a baseball player. You can uh, Google me when you get home and look at my batting average, but you'll look at it with grace because I never took steroids or HGH. Uh, But it wasn't that great of a number. But seriously, when I think about things that are going on in my life, when my job starts getting tough, I I want to go back to that previous stage in my life where there was no worries about salvation or funerals or life-changing sermons. I want to go back to that time. There was nobody, uh, homeless people wandering into the dugout looking for the Hope Center. I want to go back to that time in my life because that was comfortable for me. I bet your Egypt is pretty comfortable too. Egypt is comfortable. It's also secure. Interesting to note when you look at uh, Abraham's time that he spent in Egypt, uh, he went there and, and he had sheep and cattle. He had good food. He had maidservants, good help, and good camels, nice cars. For Abraham, Egypt was secure. Or to put it another way, my wife and I have been entertained recently. We've been watching at night a lot of the political news talk on CNN. And Anderson Cooper the other night made a very interesting observation. He said uh, both the Democratic and Republican parties have a strategy of trying to sensationalize a time in their party's past when Americans felt a great deal of security. For the Republicans, it was the 1980s and the national security policy of Ronald Reagan. And for the Democrats, it was the economic security of the 1990s and Bill Clinton and the economic promise. And the reason why Anderson Cooper said both of those strategies have been so successful is because they transport voters back into a pre-9-11 era when everything was secure. Everyone wants to go back to Egypt. The same type of stuff happens at church. Greg Jones, a Ph.D. some years ago, wrote a book called Resurrecting Excellence in which he talked about one of the most dangerous things that you can have at any church is a back-to-Egypt committee. And a back-to-Egypt committee does this. They think about a time in their church's past where the church was doing well uh, financially and numerically, and then they go back to that time and implement those same strategies totally oblivious to any new sociological data or the changes going on around them. And why do they do that? Because it's just more secure. They want to go back to Egypt. It's more secure there. So they think Egypt is comfortable. It is secure. And then third, Egypt is also known. And there's a certain teddy bear quality to anything that's known, is there not? I mean, I've got my friends. I don't need to meet any strangers. I I, I know my friends. I know what it's like to be healthy. I know what it's like to have a job. I know what it's like to have financial security. There's a certain teddy bear quality to what is known. And sure, yeah, there's some territory that you need to move 
into that you sense God's calling you to move further into. But the known Egypt is tempting you to go back. In fact, so often in my life, I get right up to the edge of that, known, of that unknown territory where I sense God's calling me to go. And then at this point in my life, I say to myself, really, you know what Billy Ray Cyrus says to his daughter Hannah Montana, ready, set, don't go. That's my life. I've asked you to think about a situation in your life where you do sense God calling you to move forward into unknown territory. And I think if we were to bring Abraham back this morning, someone who's been both to Egypt and to the promised land, I bet that what he would want to tell us is this. Get ready, get set, and then go. Don't put your trust in Egypt. Put your trust in God. But before you pack your bags, I just want to give you three uh, bits of encouragement about your future journey into the unknown territory. And the first is this. God will provide the presence and comfort. And yes, initially it'll be a little uncomfortable, but at least you won't be in Egypt. You'll be in God's territory. Ray Vanderland, a Jewish scholar who has written much about the early roots of Jesus, once noted that when God refers to Egypt in the Hebrew Bible, he calls it the Pharaoh's land. But when God refers to the wilderness, you know what God calls it? My land. Why is that land God's land? Because God lives there. And so when we move into that strange, unknown territory, not only do we grow our relationship with God, but we meet God out in that unknown territory. For example, uh, some weeks ago, my wife and I went on a mission trip to Mexico. And for me, that's a wilderness. I didn't grow up in a school without heat or indoor plumbing. And the temptation was in going to, to think, in going to Mexico, was that I had to somehow uh, bring Jesus to those people. As if their only hope of experiencing God was my ability to somehow take Jesus over my shoulders and bring him to them. But when I got there, I realized, boy, was I wrong. We worshiped there on Sunday morning and heard their testimonies. And I realized that God lived in that wilderness long before I ever got there. That's a comfort worth trusting. That you don't have to bring Jesus into your new situation. Rather, God's already there waiting for you to show up. That's what John Wesley called provenient grace or the grace of God that goes before us. God lives in that wilderness, that unknown territory. God says, that's my land. And if you go there, I'm already there. I'm waiting for you to show up. God will provide his presence and comfort. And then second, God will also provide security. And again, initially you'll feel a little bit insecure, but in reality, at least your security will be with God, because the security you think you have in Egypt really isn't all that secure. That's what Abraham learned, did he not? 
He went to Egypt and he concocted this strategy thinking that there would be a lot of security there, but he learned the hard way that even in Egypt, there wouldn't be much security. Eileen Guder put it another way. She wrote a paragraph uh, that I always laugh about, and I think it's really good wisdom. She said, you can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer, drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health, go to bed early, stay away from nightlife, avoid all controversial subjects so as never to give offense, mind your own business, avoid involvement in other people's problems, spend money on necessities, and save all that you can, but you can still break your neck in the bathtub, slipping in the shower, and it'll serve you right. I mean, that's true about Egypt. It's really not as secure as we think it is. You can still slip and break your neck in the bathtub. And I think once we begin to come to terms with this, we'll be able to move further into some of the insecure territories God wants us to go in our lives. Some weeks ago, I was reading about a story from the 1940s. There was a missionary named Oswald Goldtree who got kicked out of China. And he washed up uh, in India where he was waiting for his passage uh, home. Uh, the Chinese authorities had kicked him out of the country. And there in India, he met up uh, with a variety of different uh, people from Germany who had fled Germany because of the Nazi, uh, because of the Nazi uh, persecution, Jews in, in Germany. And they were living in barns and attics and all sorts of places. And Goldry just sensed God calling him to take action so he cashed in his check for his passage home, and he gave it to some of those Jewish folks. And sometime later, a reporter asked him, so why did you do it? That was the only security you had. You could, have, you could cash in that check. Plus, they don't even believe in Jesus. Why would you cash your check? And Goldry responded, but I do believe in Jesus. That check, that security was far better. I'm sorry, that check, that security could not compare with the security Goldry found in his trust of God. God's going to provide the presence and the comfort. God's going to provide the security. And then third and finally, if you move down that road, God is bound to provide some unknown Blessings. For when I look back at my life and I look back at the times when I've been willing to travel down those roads that are unknown, God has blessed me time and time again. Strangers for whom I have opened the door that have become my best friends. Churches whom I did not know existed that have become my community, groups, service groups that I wasn't even aware of. And I went down that same path and met my wife, Emily. It's been the times in those life, in my life where I've been able to travel down some of those unknown paths that God has just blessed me time and time again. I'll close this morning with a comment made by Branch Rickey. Uh, Branch Rickey was 
uh, a great, an innovator when it came to uh, 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 ownership in baseball. And Ricky was the first owner uh, to sign an African-American player, um, uh, Jackie Robinson, and also the first to sign a Latino superstar, uh, Roberto Clemente. And the reporter asked him toward the end of his life, you know, look, if you look back over your life, what has been your greatest thrill? You know what Ricky said? My greatest thrill? That hasn't happened yet. As we move in to the new territory God has called us to, may you and I go with that same attitude. Let us pray. Great and gracious God, I thank you for the ways you are present in our lives. I thank you uh, for your response to our trust. I thank you especially for Jesus Christ who revealed to us a path that also journeyed into unknown territory onto the cross. And I thank you, Lord, for your love for all of us. I ask God that as we move together into those new places in our lives, that you would help us to avoid the temptation of Egypt and to put our trust and our hearts in the palm of your hands. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, for he is our rock and our redeemer and our hope, uh, both in this life and in the one to come. Amen.